This week on Inside Motorsport, we hear from Hall of Fame inductee Alan Moffat. I hope you'll stay with us. Alan Moffat became one of the inaugural members of the Australian Motorsport Hall of Fame a few weeks ago. We had an opportunity to find out how this young man who was born in Canada but raised in Australia came to be one of the leading motorsport legends of his era. When my father was transferred to uh, uh, Melbourne, he was there for about three years and uh, I got a job working for Volkswagen Australia when the Beetle was still, if you can believe this, so this is 1961-ish, that the Beetle just got assembled. They called it uh, completely knocked down. They arrived in boxes and then they put it on the assembly line. And four of us were taken on by the company as marketing cadets. And we used to just get dealers and take them around to the racetrack and stuff like that. But the punchline was, we want you to go to university and you can have days off to go. And Monash was only a mile, not even a full mile away from Volkswagen plane. So that was fine. But then all of a sudden I got a knock on the door of the room I was working in. There was a secretary and she said, oh, Ellen, um, would you consider escorting me to a car club on Friday night? I said, yes, Anne, and why would I want to do that? She had an MGA. I had a TR3A. Okay. She said, well, if we go together and say that we want to join the club, we, we get a free run at Calder the next weekend. I said, okay, we'll do that. What I didn't realize as a dummy new Australian was this club on a Friday night was just an excuse to have a free booze up with 6 o'clock closing. And... Anne was not the hardest looking uh, girl to see in the room and the guys just came like bloody bees to the beehive and I just said to Anne, get your purse, we're leaving and we're leaving now and she said, why, why? I said, well, I'll tell you later and th that was the end of that but we went to Calder that next day and that truly was the start, I didn't know it at the time the start of a racing career but the real joke was no one ever, ever taught me anything. You've had to learn I, it all yourself. I just, yeah. You, in Australian motorsport, were very much seen as the man with the black hat. Oh, yeah. and well, it is I don't know about black, but uh, you mean I was being aloof or something like that? Yeah. No? I, I think they saw one of your rivals, who was a great mate of yours, and Peter Brock, as mm -hmm. the, the guy Good. that raced in on the white horse with the white hat. And, of course, you were the guy, the villain that had the woman on the railway And tracks. who do you think didn't promote that? All the promoters love putting the you-know-what on me. Yeah, that's okay. But that was a fact. You have lived with that persona, mm -hmm. and it's only the people that get a chance to meet you Two and talk with you that, that, dis the, that is able to... The figure I don't have two heads after all. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> you laugh about it now, but mm. did it... Did that ever creep in, or you're so inside your own world? Well, there was that. That's what saved me from being... Uh, but there were, there were occasions when people were going a bit too far. And uh, I just... There were occasions when it hurt. Uh, by the, That people would malign you, so to speak. But you just had to put up with it. 
I, I did put up with it. And when, when Peter and I got together, no one knew what to do. So they stopped bloody maligning me. And they, well, Brocky was always a saint and never did anything wrong. So, but that was, we had a great number of years together. Flippantly, I ask, who's playing you in the television series on Brock? Well, it's not me, that's for sure. No. I was asked to do it, but I said, no, that's not me. No. Because the fellow they're going to get to play Peter is, he's not going to make it really look right, I don't think. So, anyway, that wasn't the case. To see all these people, the first 30 of Australian motorsport, what does it what does it mean to you to be part of the first 30? Well, very, like, I won't ever forget it. I mean, to camps on many occasions, we were just there as long as we paid our fees, uh, we got to drive the cars. But no one knocked on my door too often to say, look, we'd just like you to sit down with us or come on over for morning coffee or something like Let's discuss how we can get more reliable cars for argument's sake. And uh, there wasn't enough of that. We were on our own. If we didn't have the ability to have connections either in America or anywhere else, or England, to, to, and the ability to put them all together and, and keep the cars running, I wouldn't have been around very long. You did get told to stop building a car and stop working on the car, and I, I refer to the, the never-raced Phase 4. Oh, yes. Well, that was a painful act, too. And that was an act where, I, I won't name the names, but there was a journalist who had worked for GM. And then, uh, or, or as a journalist, he got a job at, at GM. Wow, he was on the bloody newspaper every morning, and one morning, how, how terrible this is that uh, Ford Motor Company are putting this rocket phase four onto the roads, what's going to happen to our children, that type of thing. Mm. And it was an amazing campaign, wasn't it? It was a vicious, it really was, showed General Motors for what they were worth, in my opinion. But um, four, uh, three cars were made, and, or three or four, and there's one guy up in, in uh, North Queensland that, that's got the real one. Is there one moment in your motorsport career that you think defines the reason you did it or is that everlasting memory that you go to when you think about your racing career? Somebody was talking to me about this only a day ago and uh, did, did you get rattled before the race? Were you shaking? And the, and the reason, the fellow that was doing the talking, he was a race driver and he was shaking telling me this story and I thought, no, I always just, only thing I wanted when I had a crew that would stand around the car. I didn't want people coming up and saying, good on you mate, now make sure you do have a good run, even if it was the bloody managing director of uh, Ford Australia. I didn't want them at my door when I had got one minute to go. And I, the only way we could stop it was just to have a guy at my door and all the way along the left-hand side. And uh, But I, I was never shaking when I started. I, people think, how did you get away with that? I saw I wasn't getting away with anything. I was just calm. I knew what I had to do. I spoke about you being maligned. What do you think when you see a, a driver like Jamie Wincup and knowing that uh, out there there are so many people that don't acknowledge his achievements but are more happy to uh, celebrate his failures if you yeah, like. Yeah well there's a little bit of that only because of the, the thing the whole act is getting so bloody antagonistic and well if you see the cars today at Bathurst there's a Congo line from Pitt Strait 
all the way up to the top of the mountain and the cars are from me to you away. There's only 26 cars in the field. After a while, people are going out and having sandwiches because there's nobody out on the track. Whereas when we had 56 cars out there or 55, whatever it was, somewhere over 50, it was just cars everywhere all the time. So what, they were Datsuns or Toyotas or whatever. But uh, the moment they said, no, we don't want any of all that, let's get rid of these little cars, we'll just have 30-odd cars. Well, those 30 cars have already reduced to 26. And uh, I think we're going to have to... Th- think about somebody doing something about it yeah and of Jamie Winkup no Jamie is a superb driver he was running this morning doing a hell of a job with another guy right behind him like that happened to be you know one of his competitors and but he is a very competent driver and thought at one stage I'm told he was planning to go to America but he was in such a good position with already six championships under his belt. And I think Roland Dane just said, look, mate, you don't need to do that. Stay with us. But he is a superb driver. Is there anything you didn't tick off in your book? I probably got uh, a little distressed with myself that after saying I'm never going to be a 50-year-old driver, I did have to go to work and make sure that I could pay the bills. That's all I was ever laughing about, and to this day I still do a bit. I've been uh, very, fort- I've been very fortunate. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Congratulations once again. Thank you so much, mate. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Motorsport. Until next time, round keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.